You come back tonight at 6 o'clock. You be in your place. And we'd appreciate that. Acts chapter 3. We'll continue our thoughts here in the book of Acts. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Mays Jackson said that proved that Peter was a Baptist preacher. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood uh, and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now, we'll deal with some more verses in this text, but that is more, that's what we'll read to get us started this morning. To understand where we're at in Acts chapter number 3, we have to go back to Acts chapter number 2, where the Word of God teaches in verse number 42 that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. And then down in verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And then verse number 1 of chapter 3 picks up, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of the, at the hour of the prayer being the ninth hour. So what Peter and John are doing is just another day at church, if you would. They, they're going to the house of God daily. They're worshiping. Uh, they're giving. They're praising God. And Peter and John are not doing anything special. In Acts chapter 3, they're simply going to church like they're supposed to go. Amen. Save people go to church. I believe that. God puts that desire uh, within the heart of the believer to want to be in the house of the Lord. But it's interesting that on their way to church, they encounter a man that is living on the outside. That's what I want to deal with this morning, living on the outside. This man in our text was laid outside the gate of the temple. Here's my thought this morning. I love going to church. I love being in the house of God. I love worshiping and singing. Most of all, I said it in Sunday school. Uh, This is not a worship center. If this is anything, this is a preaching center. Amen. Uh, Because the Word of God is the primary focus. Amen. That's why the pulpit ain't on the side. It's not not over here on the corner. It's not some stand. The preacher, the the pulpit is the primary centerpiece of the church. Why? Because of who the preacher is? Absolutely not. Because of what goes on behind this pulpit. And that is the preaching of the Word of God. Hey, you can have church and not have singing. 
but you can't have church and not have that Word of God open and the Word of God not being declared. I love all of that. But as I studied Acts chapter number 3, I was burdened by something. Because Peter and John, on their way to worship, passed by a man who was on the outside. How many people did we pass by this morning on our way to church? on our way to worship the Lord, on our way to hear the Word of God preach. How many people did we pass this morning that are in the condition of this man in Acts chapter number 3? They are living on the outside. They are lost without God. Hey, I'm telling you this morning, uh, there's a lost and dying world all around us. And we must not let our involvement in missions, we must not let our involvement in our missions program, uh, think, I said it the other night, uh, think that we don't have to do anything locally. I I tell you, we ought to be a witness. We ought to be a lie everywhere we go. Uh, because on our way to church, no doubt all of us pass somebody who's not saved. Every one of us. Some of us your neighbors. Some of the people you drove by their houses. Some people you even drove by uh, churches that don't even preach the Word of God. And you know that they do not know the Lord. They're living on the outside. It's so easy, and I've been guilty of this myself, but it's so easy to be focused inwardly that we forget there's a world out there that needs the gospel, that needs to be saved. Those living on the outside. Look at our text. First of all, I want us to note this man, his sad condition. Notice, first of all, in his sad condition, we note his deficiency. Look at verse number 2 of our text, please. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb. His sad condition was based upon his deficiency. The word lame in this text indicates that he had a hindrance in his life. He could not transport himself. He was not mobile. He could not get to where he wanted to go on his own. He had a problem. He, he wanted to get somewhere, but he couldn't get somewhere. You know why? Because he had a problem with his first birth. He was lame from his mother's womb. I'm going to tell you, those out there this morning who are lost without God, they have a deficiency. They're in a sad condition. And it goes back to their first birth. I'm not speaking of a physical condition this morning. I'm talking about the deficiency of their lost condition without Jesus Christ. The Bible said for us, by one man a sin entered the world and death by sin... And so death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. He has a deficiency in our text. Notice not only his deficiency, but notice his dependence. Look at verse number 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. We learn in this text that he, he had a, we learn in this text that he was lame, but he was also limited. He depended on others to get him where he wanted to go. In the context of these verses, I am thankful for that. Those they. We don't know who they are, but we know that they laid him daily at the gate. Hey, these people couldn't fix his problem. Uh, these people couldn't heal him. Oh, but they could get him to the right place. Amen. I tell you, I have no power to save anybody. I can't wash anybody's sins away. I can't put any homes back together. But honey, I can get them somewhere where they can take place. I can get them under the preaching of the Word of God. I can get them under the power of God's Word. We ought to get people to the house of God. Are we actively trying to get anybody in church? 
Are we actively trying? Are we going after anybody? I preach against the super soul winners running people through prayers and putting notches on their gun belt. But if we don't tell anybody, we're just as bad as they are. They're damning souls to hell, and so are we if we don't tell. Dr. Stenet Ballou preached a message years ago about those four leprous men in 2 Kings chapter 7. Oh, when they come on that Syrian camp and found the Syrians had ran away and they found all that treasure in the midst of the famine. You know what they said? We do not well if we do not tell. I tell you, it's not, it's not good enough that we're saved, but we must tell others the gospel and the truth. With so many telling, telling the gospel wrong and not even preaching right, how much more should we be declaring the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? We note His deficiency. We note His dependence. But then we note His desperation. Verse 2, please. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them. That entered into the temple. Because this man is lame and limited, he is also suffering loss. The word alms in this text means a donation to the poor. He is begging of those who are going to the church. Can you help me? Can you help me? They didn't say that to you when you passed by their house this morning. But as they looked at their pitiful life, they saw your car pulling out of the driveway, knowing you're headed to the house of God. They may not even know they're asking it, but they're saying, can you help me? You got anything? Can you help me? His sad condition. Then please note the stirring command. Verse number 3, in this stirring command, there is the examination. Time out. I love preaching the Bible verse by verse. Amen. Just walking right through. Notice the stirring command. There is an examination. Verse 3, who, this man who seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple asked in alms. Notice in this examination, he sees the testimony of Peter and John. You know what he sees? They're going to church. They must believe in what they have. Because I've been seeing them go daily in that church every day. I see some consistency in their testimony. Do people know that you have a testimony? Do the people you work with, do the people you live around, do they know you go to church? We see their tenderness. And Peter, fasting his eyes upon what John said, look on us. Peter and John did not turn up their nose at this man. They did not look down on this man. They looked at him and saw their need. We've got to have a burden for sinners on the outside that are dying without God. And they're going to go to hell. The examination, verse 3 and 4. Notice the expectation of verse 5. And he gave heed unto them. Because Peter and John said, look on us in verse 4. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. This man responds to the command of Peter and looked up at him and expected that he was going to give him some financial uh, piece of money. I thought about this. Do I have anything to give those on the outside? I'm not speaking of a monetary value, but do we have anything of eternal value to offer this lost and dying world? You see, you can't give somebody something if you don't possess it. There's a reason a lot of people do not testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason a lot of people do not witness for the Lord is because they've personally never been born again. If anyone should be able to offer hope and help to those who are on the outside, it should be you and I as the people of God. We ought to be able to give them something. There's the examination. There's the expectation. But then in verse 6, please note the exhortation. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. 
but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The key word in this phrase is such as I have. That means Peter and John had something to give him. But it wasn't silver and gold, it was salvation and the gospel. You know what? The world thinks if you just give a man money, I'm for humanitarian, I'm for humanitarian mission work. I think we ought to go over and, and try to provide water for folks. And I, I'm all for that. But I tell you, if all we do is dig a well and never give them the gospel, all we're doing is expanding their life. I'm not, and I know that sounds harsh. I believe you ought to dig a well and then tell them about the well that will never run dry in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, Peter and John said, we don't have any monetary value to give you, but we have something greater such as I have. Give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's the sad condition. There is the stirring command. But then notice the sudden change. Because of the word that was spoken, there was a sudden change in this man's life. Involves several, involves four things. First of all, verse 7, he stood up. Verse 7, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Notice what Peter did. Now, don't miss this now. It's so simple. Peter's dealing with a man on the outside. You know what Peter did? He reached out a hand. He reached out to that man on the outside. That convicted me. Are we reaching out to anybody? Are we reaching out? Preacher, they don't want it. Did you want it? I'm telling you this morning, I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being unkind. But the Bible said, He that goes forth weeping and bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Do we have a burden? This man, he reached. And when, he, when, when Peter reached out, the Bible said he took him by the right hand. Boy, there's a sermon in that right hand. And he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He stood up. And then watch verse number 8. He showed up. And he, leaping up, stood and walked. And watch what he did. And entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping. You know, it was a good tale that this man got born again. He not only stood up, but he showed up at church. Well, boy, I love Jesus, but you can't find one the FBI search warrant on Sunday morning. I tell you, this man, there was a change made in his life. And he not only, he only stood up, but he showed up at the house of God. I tell you, I believe. Somebody said, well, I, I don't believe that you can uh, say that person saved because of what they do or what they don't do. Well, that's like saying, I don't believe that person's alive because they're breathing. I believe there is an evidence of a changed life. There is a desire to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. He showed up at church. You know what a lot of people do? They stood, they, you know, a lot of people want to stand up and then they want to go off somewhere and do their own thing. That ain't what this man did. He stood up and then he showed up. Amen. If there's been a change in your life, the house of God will become a priority. I believe that. It will take priority over everything else in your life. 
Amen. We've got fam- we've got folks in our church that family don't understand uh, their allegiance to the house of God. Their allegiance is not to this building. Their allegiance is not to the Safe Harbor Baptist Church. Their allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved them and gave themselves for them. And it ain't amazing your family that wants to criticize you for going to church three times a week and they want to criticize you uh, for not making the family reunions and all that. Ain't amazing that crowd. They never want to come to church with you. But they want you to drop everything and do what they want to do. That's hypocrisy is what it is. You ought to love your family. You ought to do the best to be with your family. But you don't need to change or compromise your conviction and your belief on the things of the house of God to try to appease them. If they really loved you like they and and, and they really, I'm not saying they don't love you, but if they really respected you uh, like they should, they would respect you. And they really want to see you. They know where to find you. Amen, that's right. I would be offended. I'd be offended if one of my family members, because our family's a little bit different. All of us go to church except for a few of us. Uh, I'd be offended if one of them called and said, hey, let's lay out Sunday night and go fishing. I'd be offended. You know I don't do that. It's church time. It's time to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Why have they always got to plan family reunions on Sunday? Amen. Why, why does that, why do they always got to do that? Well, fam, you know, they'll say, well, God instituted the family before He did the church. And that's exactly right. Uh, but God gave the family six other days in a week uh, to do all their activity. And they ought to come to the house of God on Sunday and worship the Lord as a family. Amen. He stood up. He showed up. Verse 8 and 9. He spoke up. The Bible said He's praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. When he went to church, he didn't sit there silently. He didn't say, well, I'm just so glad I got healed. No, he was walking. He was leaping. He was praising God. So I said, preacher, why is he acting like that? Oh, because new life had been birthed into him. He had been lame all his life from his mother's womb. He could not walk. He had no mobility. Oh, but when Jesus, the message of the gospel came his way, his life changed. I tell you, if a man gets saved, he'll stand up, he'll show up, and he'll speak up. Here's what else happened. It stirred everybody else up. Verse 10 and 11. And they, who's the they? The they on the inside that laid him at the gate in verse number 2. And they knew that it was he which had set for alms at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed uh, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering this change in this man's life. And the praise of his lips had a positive effect and he on the congregation. I tell you, there ain't nothing more uh, that will excite a family than a new birth. You let, you let, I mean, we've had, we've had a lot of them around here, haven't we? Amen. And you let a little, ba- you let a little baby come in here. Everybody wants to see the baby. Everybody's talking about the baby. I'm going to tell you what to stir up a church. You let some people get born again. You let some new lives, some new uh, babies in Christ be born. It'll stir the church up. What I love about this, come here, Caden. Come here, Brother Richard. Stand up. The Bible said that lame man, hurry. Amen. I've never seen a boy with such long legs that walks as slow as he does. The Bible said that lame man, he held Peter and John. You know what he's doing? He's walking and rejoicing. Help me, boy. He's walking and rejoicing and leaping. He held Peter and John. He stayed with the crowd that got him in. 
He stayed with those that preached the gospel to him and got him in. He held him. You know, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to let these boys go. Everybody else walked by me, but those reached out to me. Amen. He stood up. He showed up. He spoke up. And it stirred that church up. You want to stir a church up? Get some sinners saved. Get some people born again. It'll stir the church up. Amen. The sad condition, the stirring command, the sudden change. Verse 12. Notice the scriptural confirmation. Or confrontation, rather. The scriptural, scriptural confrontation. Verse 12, the inquiring. And when Peter saw it, what did he see? He saw that crowd greatly wondering in amazement. He answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power of holiness that we have made this man walk? You know what Peter did? Peter begins to speak to the congregation in the temple that saw this miracle. You know what he did? I love what he did. He was quick to make sure that the people did not attribute the healing to Peter and John. Look what he said in verse 12. He said, uh, Or why look you so earnestly on us? As though by our own power of holiness, we had made this man walk. Think about this. This, as far as we can tell, this is the first miracle healing since Jesus went back to heaven. Up until this point, Brother Tony, when somebody got healed, they could always point back and say, That man, Jesus, did it. Jesus is gone now. Peter and John come by the lame man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter said, hey, we're not going to let this man run around and say, this, these men healed me. Watch this. Peter said, ain't no flesh going to get glory. It ain't me. Amen. I wish some preachers get a hold of that. Peter didn't try to start a healing ministry. He didn't name his ministry after himself. He didn't lift up his name. He said, you think it was by us? By our holiness, notice the indictment in verse 13. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, have glorified His Son, Jesus. He said, it's Jesus. What's the indictment? Whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He's determined to let Him go. Now, when Peter is preaching to this congregation, he says, ye delivered Him up. He literally means, God delivered Him up. These are the same people that stood out there in Pilate's courtyard and said, Crucify him, crucify him. Peter said, I heard y'all. Y'all delivered him up. Verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Speaking of them choosing Barabbas over Jesus Christ. Verse 15, And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You know what Peter did? Peter didn't say, well... You know, God's happy with you. It's okay. Peter said, you crucified Jesus. It was you that put him on the cross. It was your wicked deeds, your wicked desires. You, he came into his own and his own received him not. Uh, they'd rather desire uh, to have a murderer and a blasphemer and Barabbas. Uh, they'd rather have the Son of God. said, y'all did it! You know what? I'm looking at the same congregation this morning, and I include myself. We denied him. Our sins put him on the cross. There's the, there's the, there's the, the inquiring, the indictment. But then notice the illustration, verse 16. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given this man, given, given him perfect soundness in the prince of you all. You know what Peter says? This man right here is an illustration of what Jesus Christ can do. He said, you know this man. Y'all saw him. He laid outside every day. Every day begging alms. And look at him now. 
You know what? The world cannot... They can argue with a lot of things. They can argue theologically. Uh, they can argue all they want to. They're not correct. But they can argue. But I'll tell you what they can't argue with. A changed life. They saw the difference in this man's life. Peter makes an inquiring, an indictment, an illustration. But then he gets an invitation. Look at, our, look at verse 17, please. And now, brethren... I want, now, he lets him have it in verse 15, verses 13 through 15, but now he begins to draw the net. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. He said, I know you didn't know what you did. Is that not what the Lord said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verse 18, but those things which God before showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer... He has so fulfilled. Peter wanted these men to know that they were guilty, but there was grace. There is the sad condition, the stirring command, the sudden change, the scriptural confrontation, and last of all, there is the spoken cure. Peter's given an invitation. How do we get help, Peter? Verse 19 through 21, it involves repentance. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come for the presence of the Lord. Let's break this verse down phrase by phrase. You ready? Repent ye therefore. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. I've changed my mind about this. And my, because I've changed my mind, it is a result in changing my direction. I do not get why so many people have problems. I said it the other week. I'm going to say it again. I don't understand why people have a problem with repentance. But I do understand it. It's because they love their sin. Repent, then watch what he says, and be converted. The word converted means to turn or to be changed from a, one substance to another. That your sins may be blotted out. God does not cross out our sins, but rather He washes them away. When the times refreshing shall come for the presence of the Lord, this is a reference to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. He shall send Jesus Christ, which was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive into the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. So I said, Preacher, what is, what is Peter saying here? Well, he's talking to a Jewish congregation. He said, um, Y'all wanted the kingdom, but you didn't want the king. You rejected the king. You crucified him. He said, But he's coming back. And you better repent. And you better be converted. Because we understand that before the times of the refreshing, which is a millennial reign, we understand that before the millennial reign takes place, the tribulation period takes place. And he said, you better repent. You want to talk about that kingdom? But you better repent. It involves repentance. But then it involves recompense. Verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Who is that prophet that Peter's talking about? Well, you remember when John showed up in John chapter number 1? They asked him, Are thou that prophet? He answered, No. John six fourteen. Then those men which had seen the miracle which Jesus had said, This is the truth, that prophet should come into the world. John 7, 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard the saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Here's what Peter said. If you don't respond to what Jesus said, you're going to be destroyed. God sent that prophet, Jesus Christ. But he was much more than a prophet. We know he was the Messiah. 
Especially preacher, what does that have to do with me today? I'm not a Jew. You are responsible for the truth that you know. You can't come to this church more than three Sundays and not hear a presentation of the gospel. I hope you can't come to this church more than one Sunday and hear a presentation of the gospel. So you're responsible for the truth. You're responsible for what you know. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And if you will not receive Him, and if you keep making on excuses, listen, if you keep making excuses why you will not come to Christ, then Peter declares that you will be destroyed. And you'll die and go to hell. And then be cast in a lake of fire for all eternity. The repentance, the recompense, and then the recognition. Peter, verses 24 through 26, I'm done. Peter, of course, is preaching to a Jewish congregation, and he has reminded them of the special privileges that God has given the Jew. Now, remember, at the beginning of this chapter, we were considering a man that was living on the outside. But Peter is preaching to people that are on the inside of the temple. They're in church. Are you hearing me? They've been greatly blessed to be in church, but they're still lost. Think about these people. I'm running through this quickly. They've had correct preaching. Verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow after, and as many have spoken likewise foretold of these days. He said, y'all have heard the truth. Y'all have had good preaching. You sat in this building this morning, and you sat in this building the last several weeks, and you've heard good preaching. Maybe you've been in church all your life. You've heard preaching. They were a chosen people in verse 25. And you're the children of the prophets. Speak to the Jews. God choosing Abraham back in Genesis 12. They had covenant promises. And the covenant which God made with our fathers said unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. And they could have a complete pardon. Verse 26. Unto you first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning every one of you from His iniquities. Peter said, You've had correct preaching. You know what's right. But if you don't respond to it, you're going to die and go to hell. There's so many people that sit in our churches every week. They hear the preaching. They give God a little nod. Like, yep, I believe that. I went to church. I've done my duty and now I'm done. But they're going to die and go to hell without God. I'm not a sensational storytelling preacher. Peter didn't have that on the day of Pentecost. I don't think I need that today. You know what Peter did? Peter stood up and said, You know Jesus died and rose again. You know that you're guilty. If you don't get saved, you're going to be destroyed and die and go to hell. I relay the same message to this congregation this morning. You know the truth. You know that you are a sinner. Are you hearing me? You know you're a sinner. You know you've broken God's law. If you've broken the law in one point, James said you're guilty of it all. All 613 were guilty of breaking the law of God. You believe Jesus died and rose again? If you do not accept that, you will die, you will go to hell, and you will not have another opportunity to be saved. That is the gospel truth. That's what we need today. We need gospel preaching like Peter and John did. Come on, Brother Matthew. Peter didn't water down the message. Peter didn't say it's going to be okay. Peter said, I'm telling you, right now, you don't get born again, you're going to die and go to hell. Somebody said, if everybody loved Peter after this, you read it.